Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. Mr. Mark Jenkins, who is a just master of health. And he's going to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, just health and increasing your life. But in doing that, he can share with you that 6,500% increase in happiness just by pouring into you. So Mark, I am actually probably 30 seconds early, but I'm going to pass it off to you, sir. Hey, hey, what's happening? You did an awesome job. That was a great segment. Thank you very much. You have a great, I'll be right here cheering you on. I appreciate it. You absolutely did your thing. Welcome, guys. What's happening on a Wellness Wednesday? How's everybody feeling out there? I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay, so that's what's up, guys. I want to give you more of the nuts and bolts right now for my for my 30 minutes on some strategies and how you should how you should conceptualize your workouts and how you should be putting them together and what exactly you're looking for and uh, I want to talk about challenges. Uh, Glenn has a running challenge uh, coming up pretty soon. I heard uh, Christian talk about the um, Christian talk about the 75 hard, and I want to give you some tips as well, so you can um, not only survive your challenges, but actually come out of your challenges in better condition than you came into it. Um, so I'm going to give you some tips on that as well. But first, I want to get into the American Council on Exercise Body Fat Percentage Chart because this is very important. You got to know your body fat before you endeavor into any exercise program. You need to know how much lean mass you have on your body and how much uh, mass is fat on your body. This is very important for setting up your caloric requirements later on down the line. And also important to track to see if your uh, if your fitness regime is actually working, because you should be able to revisit that and see a higher muscle to fat ratio than when you first tested. So this is one of the first things I do with all of my clients and you guys need to know it. I'm gonna read it off to you. Uh, I'll go to Queens first, women first. So um, uh, you need essential fat is between 10 and 13% for uh, women. 10 and 13%, that's essential. That means before you start having bodily functions, you start missing your period. That's about 10% mark. So you don't wanna get down there. For athletes, it's between 14 and 20% for women. 
Okay, so most athletic women are somewhere in between the 14 and 20% range, but I have trained some who were in the 10% range as well, but they were more naturally genetically like that as opposed to dropping weight. Um, fitness, 21 to 24, that's your ideal place to be, you know, somewhere between 24 and 25. 25 to 31% is average for women, all right? 25 to 31% is average. So most people fall in between that and 32 plus is obese for women. So if you're over 32%, you got to come down into a safe range. That's when your uh, body fat level is uh, is a pre-existing condition and it's affecting your immune system and how you deal with insulin and this, that, and the other. So now we're going to go to the men's chart. For men, 2 to 5% is essential. I myself have been as low as 6%. It did not feel good, but it, it, it looks better than, uh, than it feels because you can feel your joints. You really don't have any fat between. You can feel everything. Um, I didn't like it, but it looks cool for photo shoots. So I don't maintain that. I'm more in between somewhere athletic for men is six to 13%. I hover somewhere in between there. Um, for fitness, that's 14 to 17%. If you're fit for the average male, he's 18 to 24% body fat. And for the obese male is 25 and up. So if your body fat is over 25% and you're a man, that is affecting how you process your nutrients, it's affecting your immune system. So you need to get into a safe range at least. All right. So now that we have that established, we can go on to some other tips because that's a very relevant factoid that you're going to be referring to through, uh, through your fitness journey. So I wrote these, uh, these tips in particular out for 75 hard, but they can apply to any other uh, uh, fitness endeavor or, or challenge that you're going to get into. Uh, these are things that you want to check out. I would give myself at least a week and a half to two weeks to prep my body before jumping into any fitness challenge. So that's rule number one, prepare your body and prepare your mind, get your vision board, make sure you're visualizing, make sure you're meditating on getting uh, the task at hand accomplished each day, make sure you have your affirmations ready, make sure you're journaling, get that part in, but also prepare by hydrating more than you would normally do so especially for 75 hard where you're doing two workouts a day, your fluid requirement is going to be a lot more. So it's really, really key to hydrate ahead of the endeavor, like two or three weeks of getting hydrated, drinking extra water, getting used to that is perfect. And again, this is where we refer back to our body fat. You want to make sure that you are actually aware of how many calories you're intaking every single meal. Because if you're working out twice a day or you're in a fitness challenge where you're going to be running every day, you're going to be burning a lot more calories. And you want to come out of a fitness challenge with a, a lower body fat percentage and a higher muscular rate. You don't want to come out the other way around. If you're losing 20 pounds, but 10 of that is muscle, you've just slowed down your metabolism because you can't process as much because only muscle burns calories. Fat is just hanging on your body. So it's very important to keep your muscle mass up so you keep your metabolism going up. So every time you go through a diet or a challenge, you want to come out of it having more muscle mass and less body fat. Is that clear? Anybody got a question before I keep on going? No, no questions. I'm going to keep it rolling. Okay. So now we got that established. You want to know, usually for uh, somebody who's active, you want to have 1.5 grams of protein for each kilogram of lean body mass, all right? So I'm getting technical, I know, but I want you guys to keep to, to rock with me. Uh, you find that by subtracting your body fat from your total weight, 
that gives you your lean mass, and then you divide that by kilograms, 2.2, right? Then you take that and you multiply that times 1.5, and that's gonna establish how many calories of protein, how many grams of protein you need, because you don't wanna lose muscle mass. And now you're having 1.5 grams per kilogram of lean body mass, if you're following me guys. So you're getting enough protein to sustain the, the muscle mass that you have and then some so that you can grow. Are you following me? You got that, Christy? I got you. All right. Yeah, so I'm I got keep... you. I got you. I think I'm at two. <laughs> just just to, yeah, be, at, to be sure. And, and, and that varies depending on your metabolism. Someone who has a faster metabolism, I give them a two, two uh, grams of protein per kilogram of lean body mass. Some people might be running a little bit faster, 2.5. But most people average between 1.5 and 2. They fall between there. Uh, you set up your carbohydrates maybe a little bit higher depending on your metabolism. If you don't process carbohydrates as well, maybe the same ratio as your protein, but I wouldn't go any lower because if you're doing twice a day, 75 hard, you're gonna need those carbohydrates to help you recover from your exercise. So now that you have that number, all you have to do is divide that by how many meals you're eating per day. So I would take that number, my kilograms of uh, lean body mass, right, times 1.5, and I would divide that by how many meals I'm eating per day. That would be maybe four to five meals a day. And that would be my protein, that'd be my carbohydrates. I wanna make sure I'm eating that every two to three hours. Anytime that you're physically feeling hungry, your body's feeding off of its own muscle tissue to, uh, to nourish yourself. It can't break down the fat fast enough. So you never want to feel hungry throughout the course of your day. You want to constantly keep feeding your muscles. So every two to three hours, even if you're intermittent fasting, which is something that I do, I'm not eating until after uh, 12, like I haven't eaten yet. It's uh, one, in, one in LA. So I'm still tapping into my fat stores, but I'm making sure that once I do start eating, I'm eating every two to three hours. So I'm still getting in my same mathematical number that's going to get me to no body fat because we took all the body fat out of the equation. Remember, we subtracted all your body fat, not a percentage. So if you keep doing this, this is only a temporary diet to get you in shape quickly or to get you through an event challenge so you can track. This way, once you have a measure of it, you can either add or subtract, but you know what you're intaking. And then you can take your body fat to see if it's working or not and adjust accordingly. Is everybody understanding that? I know I got a little technical, but that's the first thing was once you set up the diet, then you can finish the challenge because your body's getting enough nutrients to actually finish the endeavor. So you want to feel good as you're performing and you want to feel good after you're performing. You want to have an increased metabolism after your challenge. You want to have more muscle mass so you can eat more, so you can burn fat faster and keep the machine going as opposed to cannibalizing your muscle, trying to get finished an event and just using your mental fumes to push through. So is everybody clear on that? Anybody got any questions before I keep on going? Hey, Mark, uh, just a question. What would you recommend as far as ways to uh, measure your body fat? I know there's DEXA, InBody, BodPod, Calipers. Do you have any suggestions as far as how to get your baseline uh, body fat? Well, you know, I used to use the calipers, but uh, in the fitness industry, people started getting uncomfortable with getting pinched, <laughs> especially if they really have super high body fat. So we started using the electric handheld model, which I don't think is all that accurate, but it does show an increase or decrease. But Anything that you can get to consistently, uh, that's pretty much you want, what you want to use because, you know, sometimes the scale is all you have. You can order one on Amazon that takes your body fat to just stand on it. And uh, that might be all you have access to, but you have to keep using that same instrument. You can't switch instruments because you're going to get a different reading based on a different instrument. So it doesn't really matter 
because they're not that far off from each other unless you're doing something like a, like the water tank, which is a super, the most accurate one, the hydrostatic. Uh, but other than that, just get something where you can use consistently that you know you can check your body fat every two weeks that you have access to. That's what I would say. Hey, Mark. Hey. Can you can you touch quickly on carbohydrates for women that are working out? And you know, when you, when you just talked about carbohydrate ratio, the ratio and protein ratio, it's quite similar in the calculation that you had recommended. I know that that freaked me out. It always has freaked me out, and I don't think I'm alone as a woman. Can you talk just a little bit about how important that is and what what you see in the transformations of women that do do that versus the ones that don't follow the carbohydrate recommendations? Well, I think the uh, I think the muscle number one it gives you a, a more fuller appearance because your muscles are fuller with glycogen, so your muscles are tighter against the skin, you know. And from training women and training women on stage, I know they don't want to appear too gaunt or too wrinkly, although they want to be lean at the same time. They want if you so if you want the skin to be tighter against the body, if you're a female, so you can look younger, I would consider using a a, a moderate to low carbohydrate as opposed to zero carbohydrate diet, and also it's all about the timing. I would try to like myself, I'm naturally, uh, I started off with a 45 inch waist. I have a propensity to get huge. So for me, I don't want to train on carbohydrates. I train on an empty stomach. So I ran seven miles this morning uh, on an empty stomach. I have not eaten because I'm intermittent fasting. I'm going to try to eat after this, but I got I got a call after I finish this one. So I'm going to eat something after this, but this way I'm definitely tapping into my fat stores because there's no carbohydrates in my system. As soon as I eat carbohydrates, the fat burning process stops. So it all depends on if you're someone who's trying to lean out, you would try to time your carbohydrates based on your activity level. If you're someone who's trying to gain weight, you want to steadily feed your body carbohydrates so it, it, uh, it, it can grow and it can recover and it can build because you're burning fast. So it really depends on the person. If you've got a question, um, you can shoot me an email, anybody who wants, to, wants me to get a little bit more in-depth with them. I'm just trying to give you some concepts and perceptives, uh, perspectives and things to consider when you're putting your programs together. Hope that answered your question, Christy. Yes, thank you. All right, so uh, last week I spoke about this as well, uh, stretching. Okay, you guys wanna make sure you're flexible before you endeavor into any challenge or any type of workout system. Take time to stretch on your own. You should be stretching at least 15 minutes per hour that you're working out, just, just to not get injured. Your flexibility probably won't improve at that ratio, but you'll be flexible enough not to get injured. All right, so you wanna get 15 minutes per hour of training, definitely. You don't wanna do any elongated stretching before working out because by elongating the muscle, you're weakening it. So I touched on this last week. You don't, so you don't wanna stretch a long, prolonged, hold a stretch for over a minute each limb because you're weakening that limb because you're loosening the tendon, if that makes sense, guys. So you wanna do a short stretch after warming up. Never stretch a cold muscle. Stretching a cold muscle is your highest probability of pulling that muscle and getting injured. So you always wanna warm up first, jog, walk five minutes, break a sweat, then you go into your light stretch, you do the exercise of workout activity, then you go into your long restorative stretch after that. If you're doing 75 hard, you're training twice a day, depending on when your next workout is, you wouldn't wanna do a long prolonged stretch after that if you're going back to back with your workouts. You do a short stretch and then you get back to your second workout. Does that make sense everybody understanding me? So. Because that can definitely, I didn't know that. I learned that uh, uh, late, later on in my career. And I used to do yoga thinking I was helping myself before I ran on runs. And I was like, man, why is this so hard? But I was so relaxed from the yoga, I couldn't generate any tension to actually get my runs done. So I can personally attest to your performance being better 
if you uh, do your elongated stretch afterwards. Everybody clear on that? Yes, indeed. All right, all right, all right. So I'm gonna keep it moving on a, on a, on a wellness workout Wednesday. Breakfast with champions, guys. And I want you to apply all this information as you would a business plan, as you would, if you were looking at an entrepreneurial endeavor. Take this information because it's going to make you more money. So if you had to take a note or write any of this down, I uh, heard people mention their physical health in the last segment. That was a challenge for them. Set yourself up to win by getting your body in an anabolic state before you even start your endeavor. So your body already has nutrients. So as soon as you hit that extra stress, you have the energy to push through. That's very important. Okay, and um, another tip, prioritize your lagging body parts. If you're working out twice a day, for example, and you know you have weak shoulders, you can try to hit that body part twice in the same workout. In the one workout, you do it directly maybe with a shoulder press. In another workout, you might do it indirectly with your jabs, with your boxing training. So you're still working the shoulders, but you're not directly traumatizing the muscle. And that gets me to my next tip, is um, don't do double impact workouts if you're training twice a day, if you're doing 75 hard. What I mean by double impact workouts or exercises or workouts that doubly tax that are two traumatic workouts one after the other, like squatting and then going to run six miles after that. Don't do, you're working out 75 days straight with no rest, that's gonna impact your recovery. So try to do something high intensity matched with something restorative at the same time. High intensity, restorative. Weight training, yoga. Boxing or running, you know, Pilates. Something like that. So you're, you're getting always getting that restorative uh, healing component in, in your second workout. And I know one is always supposed to be outside according to the uh, 75 hard rules. So, you know, if you're going to do a, uh, something outside, you can still make it restorative. It doesn't have to be hard impact. And especially on the concrete, do something in the dirt or get a jump rope mat and do something that's low impact. So give your joints a break because you're going twice a day and you don't want to tax the muscles. All right, any questions on that guys on recovery? All right, I'm gonna keep the ball rolling. Um, my next tip is try to use one of your workouts. This is a tip that you can apply to anything. Try to use one of your workouts to develop a skill because if you're just looking in the mirror, working out just to look better, it becomes a superficial pursuit. You wanna take that fitness that you got from the gym and apply it to a skill. So this is, going to, uh, this is going to improve your chances of making it more of a lifestyle because now you have a skill or art or a competition that you're working for. So don't make it a superficial pursuit. So in the 75 hard you're doing twice a day, you're going to make sure that you're working out and then you're learning a skill, be it jump rope, boxing, yoga, do something where you're getting some hula hoop, where you're learning any type of skill. All right, guys, so that's very important. Uh, and it's, it's important for your mind too because if you're learning a skill, it keeps you more so engaged. You're not just looking in the mirror, looking at yourself, and it, it becomes less narcissistic. So I think that is definitely a big one. Uh, another tip, get different sneakers for different activities. Do not lift in your running sneakers, all right? Do not lift in your running sneakers. Get two pairs of sneakers, get a cross-training, a gym sneaker, and get a running or activity sneaker that you're using, all right? Very important, stay injury-free. Running sneakers are not made for lateral motion. I see a lot of people get injured by trying to do lateral motion, gym movements, plyometrics in running sneakers. They're made to go forward. That is it. Be careful doing lateral motion in your running sneakers. That is a key component. Um, any questions on that? Does everybody do that? Who works out and uses the same pair of sneakers for every workout? 
Just by uh, just by a flash. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> Everybody I, does it. I used to do that high... until I got hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, there you go. There you go. So it's, it's very important, guys. And change up your sneakers. I can't tell you how, how, how super important that tip is to stay injury free, especially working out twice a day. Your sneakers getting a lot of wear and tear. Um, Mark. Yep. Hi, Mark. You are awesome. This is Monica in the, in the turquoise ring. I'm in the middle of 75 hard, actually close to the end. And I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I work out barefoot. Hey, champions. Guess what? The Breakfast with Champions podcast airs live every single day, 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. only on the Clubhouse app. So make sure to download Clubhouse and go check out Breakfast with Champions. You're not going to regret it. See you there. And um, I... I really, really, really like working out barefoot for a lot of reasons. What are your thoughts on that? I, um, I didn't find out how atrophied my feet were until I started doing jujitsu. And these guys who were always fighting barefoot were pushing me around the gym, although I was stronger than them because it's at the foot ankle level, they were so much stronger because the sneaker is so much cushion that your feet actually atrophy. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big um, barefoot but you have to get used to it and you can't overexpose because you can easily get injured because your feet are atrophied. Most people's feet are much weaker or probably the weakest part of their body, their feet and their toes and everything. So you have to be very careful. Even with the Vibrams, I like the, I like to wear the Vibrams. Uh, do you, are you familiar with the five finger shoe? I am. I don't like them. I, 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 mean, I shouldn't say that. I've never tried them. I, I don't like the way they look, which is really no reason not to wear them, but um, right, I, just prefer, right. I prefer the, uh, the shoe the Lord gave me, which is made of skin. Yeah, I agree, but people's feet are so atrophied. I think sometimes the Vibrams are a good segue. Yeah, uh, I think that into, would be into, into, Yeah, yeah, if you want to eventually go barefoot, because I didn't realize, uh, and even me as a seasoned athlete, you know, so now I do specific foot exercises and finger exercises for that matter, uh, uh, for, for, just for that reason, you know, because um, the sneaker is so cushioned that you actually uh, don't use your feet. You don't use the soles of your feet to grip anymore. You're absolutely right. It's a it's a massive difference when I have to be in a gym somewhere. You know, I travel full time. I live on the road. And when I have to be in a public gym working out and, you know, they, they really frown on you being barefoot in the gym. I don't know why. It's crazy. But I have a real disconnect with the with the ground. I have a real disconnect when I'm forced to wear shoes and I just don't like it. And I think it has to do partly with what you said, partly with what I'm used to. But also there is something about being in contact, skin in contact with the surface that's supporting you that just, I don't know, it somehow makes a mental, yeah, a, the, a different it, mental connection. For it's, it's the grounding. It's the grounding, most definitely. Um, uh, are you familiar with that book, Born to Run? I am not. So Born to Run, right? This, I think it's this ESPN uh, writer, this crazy book, but uh, they give it to all marathoners. Like uh, Alberto Salazar gave it to me when I was training um, puffy for the marathon. So there's this uh, tribe, I think, out in, I forgot what, what Indian tribe it is, but these guys are Mahar Indians. Okay, you know this book, right? Okay, okay. So but these guys, I, I, read, I read it in 04, so you, please correct me if I'm, uh, if, I'm, if I'm saying anything uh, that's, that's incorrect. But these guys run 70 to 150 miles barefoot or with uh, tires, uh, tire rubber that they tie to their feet with sandals and they run on their toes because you can't heel strike because you don't have shoes on, which you know if you train barefoot. 
So it's a totally different way to running. So you activate your body in a whole different way. So it, it, it's uh, there's a lot of evidence saying that that's actually the way that we were actually, uh, born intended to move, not by heel striking where you transfer all that shock to your um, to your spinal column. So uh, good question. If I may, Mark. So I'm a, yeah, please. Really quick, I won't go further into that because it could be a long conversation in itself. But yeah, I it's a great book, guys. Miler with that technique. And then for those of us who are a little fashion conscious, check out Vivo Barefoot. They're a barefoot minimalist style shoe brand. It's actually pretty hip. Just want to give that nugget. Oh, that's dope. Cool. How many How many miles did you say you ran? Ultra marathon, 50 miles. 50, what was your time? It took me about 11 hours. It was my first one, and I did it with the barefoot technique. So I was exhausted by the time I finished, without a doubt. So, so can you can you expound quickly on the barefoot technique? Because you're not supposed to take big steps, and I don't want to I don't want to miss you know represent it, right? So so give, yeah. t- talk about the barefoot technique. Give it to him. So really quick, uh, thank you, Mark, for the moment. What it does is you're actually running with your feet less. Your stride is a lot shorter. You're landing right under your body, almost like a deer does. So literally the impact, the way our body is designed in theory is to go through our calf and through our shins. And as those are developed and strengthened, what happens is you don't have to carry your whole thigh and glute to get all the way through. You're tapping lightly on your shins. And what happens as a result is your energy is recirculating through your body. You actually run faster and lighter and you actually prevent injury. The research behind the shoe is there were very few compared to what we have in our modern day injuries before the Nike Cortez, before the Nike Cortez running shoe. And that shoes actually cause more injuries because of atrophy. The, the exact point Mark's talking about, our feet become very weak, which then leads to hip injuries, back injuries, sciatica, and all sorts of things. But getting on the ground and getting connected to the ground and strengthening our feet like Monica spoke about <clears throat> helps us heal. And as a matter of fact, one last quick note, it's noted that there's a UCLA, that one point UCLA, their track team would train barefoot the first hour or so of their training just to make sure the feet were strong so that they could work like they're supposed to and absorb the shock. Yeah, well said, much better than I could. Um, it's definitely important, guys, to work your feet. It, it made a tremendous difference. I'm telling you, I had guys in jujitsu throwing me around who I knew I was stronger than, but once it got from the knee down, I couldn't, I couldn't move. And if you have a lower center of gravity, they were moving me. So it's, it's so important uh, for injury prevention and for your lateral motion. Work your feet, work your ankles, work in the sand if you can. That's a good tip to get your ankles and feet not strong. But definitely check out the Vibrams or the other brand that was mentioned. All right, so we're going to keep it moving, guys. Uh, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about reps and sets and what do, what do they mean? Like when you read a workout, and it says three sets of 10 reps. And you're like, how did somebody come up with that number? All right. So to understand that, we got to talk about fiber recruitment. And I got to go quick. It's 124 already. Time is flying. So I'm going to go real quick with this one. Uh, the reason that you exercise or do an exercise is to recruit enough muscle fiber in that muscle where that muscle sends a signal to your brain to create more muscle. Once you do that, you go past that point, that is defined as overtraining. Overtraining is anything more than what's necessary to achieve the given goal. So if I'm looking to put more muscle on you, I need to recruit a certain amount of muscle fiber so your brain and your body can connect and send that signal to create more muscle. Once I do that, all I have to do is let you recover. If you have enough nutrients, your muscles grow. 
So you got to have everything, all of those components, the diet, the sleep and the recovery, and the proper amount of stimulus. Too much or too little in any of those components, you won't get a good result. So it's very important to make sure that your diet is proper and you're getting the right amount of nutrients uh, uh, when you're doing twice a day or two a day workouts. So with that being said, a, a, a rep is an estimate of how many, how much time or detention it will take to recruit all of the fibers in that muscle. So when I tell you to do 10 reps as a trainer, I'm estimating my mind based on the weight. And I know you're giving strength levels and the, the angles and the levers that's within 10 reps. I'm going to get you to send that signal to your, to your brain. Now to do that in one set would be so painful that most people would not continue to train. So we have to break that up into different sets. So is everybody understanding that why you do sets and reps? So I'm saying was in three sets, I can recruit 90 to hundred percent of your muscle fibers. So I can get that brain and muscle to connect and send that signal to create more muscle or to give you more bone density because you're overloading that muscle. So that's why you do sets and reps and, and that's what they mean. They're all the estimation. So for example, if I'm training a client and I'm telling them I want to get 10, 10 pull-ups and they get to eight and they can't get another one. And the next one is going to compromise their form. I immediately stopped the set because I already got the body to send the signal to the brain. The risk to injury reward is not worth it for him to attempt another repetition and possibly get injured. So is everybody understanding that? So when you're trying to do a workout, especially twice a day and workouts you haven't done before and haven't pushed your body to that limit, recognize the point where your form is being compromised and you're recruiting all your muscle fiber and when it's time to stop the set very important don't keep pushing through if something doesn't feel good stop doing it once you feel your form is compromised stop the exercise these are all um imaginary numbers and imaginary times under tension that your trainer is estimating you don't have to be committed to getting 15 reps and you're swinging improperly and uh, possibly going to hurt your back everybody got me on that one that's a super key one um any questions guys Hey, Mark, this is Gato. Sorry, I have kids in the background, but I do have a quick question. Hey, everybody. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Renee. Uh, my question is this. I'm actually getting back into the routine and the swing of working out and everything of that nature. And I want to get my muscles toned and I do want to get lean. But at the same time, my body isn't handling red meat and and chicken. So is there an alternative to protein, aside from the protein powder that will help with uh, recovery? Do you have any suggestions aside from that? This is Gary. Yeah, yeah I, I got a few. I got a few. Um, one, you can definitely, the protein powders break down into amino acids. So you can buy the amino acids itself and you get 100% absorption. It's not hard in the stomach. Uh, and you can even get vegan amino acids, which is new to the market right now. So you can keep it super clean and uh, you can nourish the muscle without actually having to eat a protein powder or a food or a meat that you're not comfortable with or anything that's going to give you an allergic reaction. So check out um, amino acids. Uh, I usually, uh, because I'm intermittent fasting and I don't want to tap into my muscle stores, although I won't eat in the morning, I will have an amino acid drink, which has zero calories, but it has all the uh, everything that the protein breaks down into so your body can absorb it is an amino acid form. If everybody's understanding what I'm, sa what I'm saying. 
Hey, Mark, can I chime in here a little bit too? Yeah, please, please. Awesome. For me, what I found during my 50-mile marathon was, and I'm not recommending anyone do this, but I want to test it. I'm like you, Mark. Let's see if this really works and let's test it all out. I did, I trained for that race. Typical marathons, you run three days a week and then one long day on the weekend. What I made myself do, because I wanted to find out if this, if the raw food diet at that time would make a difference for me, I went from three days a week to two long days back to back every weekend from the second week of July through the last week of October. What I found was, yes, I had to keep my carbs high without a doubt. Right. What I found was the amino acids from plants, for me, I was recovering. In, so, for example, on a Saturday, I may run 25. On a Sunday, I might run 32. By Monday afternoon, I could easily go run 10 again. I was amazed at how fast my body was recovering just on plants. And I'm not saying don't eat meat or anything like that. I'm just saying another source of amino acids because they're clean is to get lots of plants. And that's just yeah. my tidbit that I want to share. That, that's absolutely true. That, that's a good one. I mean, you know, the, the most natural form, the most readily absorbed is in the plant format. So definitely. But if you can't get the plants or you want a certain concentrated amount and you don't know how much uh, the plants equal up to, look into the amino acids to go vegan form. Hey, guys, exactly. we're at our limit. I am going to pass. I don't want to be disrespectful to our next speaker, Matt Storm. He's about to kill it. You guys got any questions? Hit me up, markjenkinsfitness.com or the Mark Jenkins on IG. Peace and love. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.